welcome to the Breitbart News Daily Podcast, where we take uh, what's well, like the best of of the uh, the full three hour show on SiriusXM Patreon. So we always give you the opening segments. The opening segment we dedicated to uh, a little follow up with the conversation we had yesterday with the former NATO commander about Ukraine and cluster bombs. But it's not really about that. What it's really about is the Democrats' love of the new big thing, and they don't care if there's. <laughs> It's like hypocrisy is not even the it's like a total, you know what it is? It's a John Kerry flip-flop. It's a flip-flop. Uh, remember the quaint days of the flip-flop? <laughs> when things were simple. He flip-flopped. Well, this is much worse than that. We talk about the Democrats and their love of the new big thing. Enjoy. <laughs> today we had a great guest yesterday on ukraine and nato he was a former nato deputy commander right a brigadier general like he knew his stuff so we had some got some great insight from him uh about the cluster bombs and also about just everything that's going on in lithuania right now so nato voted to not include ukraine into nato Thank goodness. That would be immediate World War Three. By definition. That's not like oh like Slater's exaggerating. Like no, that would be Ukraine, you're now in NATO, Russia drops a bomb in Ukraine five minutes later, and now we're all in a full blown war. Because that's how that that's what NATO is. You attack one, you attack them all. So that's um that's good <laughs> that we did not do that. Uh and then uh, Zelensky got all upset because actually they weren't even close to getting invited. It wasn't even, hey, here are the terms that need to be met in order to get into NATO. It was, uh, oh no, so, I guess there's a couple different levels. There's, here's the terms that would need to be met in order to be invited, in order to get into NATO. It wasn't even, there are terms that would need to be met in order to get into NATO. It was, there are terms, we're not going to tell you what they are, but there are terms that would need to be met in order to be invited to be into NATO. So there's a couple levels away from being invited. And Zelensky's like, what the heck? They didn't even give us like a chance. So that's good. But also don't be deceived. We already are in a war. It's not like we need to, like that would need to happen for us to be in a war. We're in it. So we, uh, I want to invite this, this guy on so we can talk about cluster bombs. But we talked about that not not very long, because uh, it sounded like he well he definitely wasn't against them. It's interesting. The media is just wrong all the time. Yeah, they're just wrong all the time. They're wrong about the war, but then even with the war, they're like like because the media is all for the war and I, I I'm against it. But then the media was all against cluster bombs, and I'm for them or whatever. Like I don't think it's a big deal. This NATO commander was like, yeah, I mean, so, so so a cluster bomb, it's this bomb, and then it opens up before it lands, and all these little bomblets fall out and spread out, and then when they land, they explode. So it spreads out over this huge area, and the, the former NATO commander's like, yeah, I mean, they're used in combat areas that are already littered with mines. 
in the whole area. It's like a so if you take if you take an area that has a thousand mines in it already, and you drop a cluster bomb in it, you're like what's a few more? <laughs> like who cares? He said the bigger story is Biden said that we are running out of weapons ourselves. That we America are running out. He said Ukraine's running out and we're running out. So this is just the only thing we got laying around left. That's what he said. So this former NATO commander was like, that's not good. That's not good if it's true. It's not good to tell our enemies. It's not good to tell our allies. The military had to come out yesterday and say, oh, no, we got plenty of weapons. Well, which is it? But the main thing that this guest was talking about yesterday is the hypocrisy of it. Here's the great John Nolte on Breitbart. Amid reports, this was years ago, amid reports that Israel had used cluster bombs in the invasion of Lebanon, some Democrats went so far as to push for cutting off aid to Israel. According to one report, Biden said that if those reports were accurate, then Israel was clearly in violation. He said the United States should respond by, quote, cutting off the ability to get access to that kind of weaponry in the future. All right, so back when Joe Biden, before he was president, and Israel used a cluster bomb, Biden was against it, said we got to cut off aid to Israel. How dare they use such a horrific weapon? John Nolte said, cluster bombs are precisely the kind of war weapon Democrats once hated. But here is the real story here. And this is why I love John Nolte so much. John Nolte says, I'm for the cluster bombs. And then he presents out all of his arguments. And you can go on Breitbart.com and read it, of course. And he concludes, bring on, bring on the cluster bombs. But here's the key. He says, do you see what I did there? You might not agree, but no one can argue that I haven't thought this through. Whatever its deficits, I based my argument on history. His argument being four cluster bombs in, this, in, in Ukraine. I based my argument on history, compassion, and logic. He laid out all of his reasons why he's four cluster bombs. And you cannot agree. Of course, he would disagree. Things, but he laid it out. And you can't argue that he didn't think it through. He said, Democrats don't do that. They now love cluster bombs because Joe Biden and CNN told them that they're required to love cluster bombs. And that's the end of their thought process. He says, you see, cluster bombs are the new big thing. And Democrats love to love the new big thing. Even if the new big thing completely contradicts every moral and political principle they claim to have stood for. It doesn't matter. If it's the new big thing and they're told to like it, they like it or hate it. And then John goes into some examples of some new big things. Some things that previously they hated and now they love. And it's perfect because one of these we touched on on Monday. But let's go through his list. Number one, obesity. The party that once embraced the outlawing of big gulps and raged against the obese for the strain they put on public health is now lying to us that obesity is healthy. You see Lizzo and, and people of equal gargantuan size on fashion magazines and women's magazines with the headline, this is healthy. 
It is definitely not healthy. MSNBC just the other day posted an article, pandemic fitness trends have gone extreme. Literally, white supremacists' latest scheme to valorize violence and hypermasculinity has gone digital. So the argument from MSNBC is that these alt-right, far-right extremist groups are recruiting young men through fitness. <laughs> so so they, they, they hook them. They hook young men who want bigger pecs. And then they, and then they get them with the far-right content. That's how they... Physical fitness has always been central to the far-right. In Mein Kampf, gosh, I remember 15 years ago listening to Will Cow talk about how uh, the, the, criticizing the left for calling him the Nazis far right when the name Nazi is German workers socialist part it's the socialist <laughs> how, did, how did they get far right a bunch of socialists um, let's see here it's always been central to the far right in Mein Kampf Hitler fixated on boxing and jujitsu believing they could help him create an army of millions whose, uh, whose aggressive spirit and impeccably trained bodies combined with fanatical love of the fatherland would do more for the German nation than any mediocre tactical weapons training. The intersection of extremism and fitness leans into a shared obsession with the male body, training, masculinity, testosterone, strength, and competition. Those are terrible things. Strength? Ooh. Masculinity, ooh, testosterone, terrible. Unless you're giving it to a 12-year-old girl. In which case, testosterone's a wonderful miracle. Strength, competition, awful. Physical fitness training, especially in combat sports, appeals to the far right for many reasons. Fighters are trained to accept significant physical pain, to be warriors, to embrace messaging around solidarity, heroism, and brotherhood. Oh, It's awful. Can you believe that's going on? Can you believe that there are communities out there? Like like jujitsu's, jujitsuists, jujitsuers who are who are accepting physical pain and embracing messages of solidarity and heroism and brotherhood. That's terrible. So fitness is now white supremacy. Got it? Because fat is beautiful, fitness is racism. That's how it goes. I said the other day that the, the most countercultural thing you can do is to go to a Bible-believing church. The other two is to uh, be fit and homeschool your kids. You do those three things, and you are, you are a total freak. You're worse than a freak. You are destined for the gallows. Those three things? Go to a Bible-believing church, be physically fit, and homeschool your kids? Oh, man. You are enemy number one. You are the first to be have your head cut off. But John Nolte's point is the same party that had Michael Bloomberg not too long ago when he was mayor of New York wanting to ban sugary sodas. That was that was the left the left had this crusade to ban big gulps, ban uh, like like big cups of soda and ban fast food restaurants from like different low income areas because obesity was such a problem. That same party is now leading the fat is healthy train and fitness is white supremacy. 
Weird. Number two, war. The peace parties. Uh, war erection for Ukraine is really something to witness, says John Nolte. Number three, war with Russia. The party that spent decades siding with the old Soviet Union over America would love to go to war with the old Soviet Union. Breitbart has an article about Cornell West. Uh, the headline is, The Democratic Party is a Party of War. Number four, censorship. The party that once stood for sport, uh, free speech, up to and including using tax dollars so a deviant could photograph a Christian crucifix in a jar of urine in the name of free speech, now stands firmly on the side of government and corporate censorship. In fact, the former free speech party now demands censorship. Number five, censoring political speech. Democrats have a special love for this one. Number six, consolidated media companies. The same people who once raged against media consolidation, against smaller media companies being eaten up by the Borg collective of massive media multinationals are now firmly on the side of the multinationals. Number seven, big tech. Oh, how Democrats love them. Some Google, Facebook, and Apple. Yes, centralize the corporate power. Yes, put the little guys out of business. Number eight, the military. The military is double plus good now because it's woke. Number nine, the military-industrial complex. War, war, war. We love war. Number 10, defense contractors, especially the ones that produce cluster bomb. Number 11, child mutilation. The Protect the Children Party. Now wants to see your child permanently mutilated with grotesque and irreversible sex change surgeries and puberty blockers. Blockers. Number 12, the CIA. Oh, how we love the CIA. The CIA is good, real good. Give us more CIA. 13, men destroying women's sports. The same political party that championed Title IX for decades is now championing the only thing that can unravel Title IX, and that's allowing men to compete against women in women's sports. John Nolte says, for 20 years now, I've been expressing my beliefs online. And because there's a big difference between 37 and 57, some of my beliefs have changed. But when they change, I do two things. First, I admit they have changed. And two, I explain why they have changed. That doesn't make me special or virtuous. Doing what you're supposed to do is what you're supposed to do. But Democrats don't bomb it. Instead of making a case for their head-snapping 180s, they pretend the past doesn't exist. And that's George Orwell's 1984. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process of conti is, is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. If you haven't read 18, 1984 recently by George Orwell, you have to read it. And then read Brave New World because that's even more accurate. But they're both excellent. Now, I think the biggest switcheroo from the Democrats, and we mentioned this on Monday, is their brand new undying love for Big Pharma. It's unbelievable. I don't, I don't think there's anything, maybe the war stuff, but I, I can't think of any other topic that they were so against that they're now so for. Like the difference between those two is greatest with Big Pharma. I, 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 it's, it's spectacular. Like I remember Bernie Sanders. One of Bernie Sanders, like not that long ago, one of his big things was breaking up Big Pharma. And now we love Big Pharma. We can't get enough boosters. 
Everyone needs a thousand boosters. <laughs> and now we got the tridemic coming up. We got flu, COVID, and uh, a brand new vaccine for RSV. And everyone's like, sign me up. It's great. Brand another brand new <laughs> untested vaccine. Great. Love it. Bring it on. And the government's like, we gotta, we got to mandate this. It's amazing. So we asked on Monday, we just observed this. And we asked on Monday, we said, what happened here? Genuinely, what happened here? Because that's just a fascinating switch. We went from Big Pharma as the devil to now mandating everyone gets shots in their body and just giving endless amounts of money to Big Pharma. (laughs) What happened? And I didn't know. And then I found this clip of RFK Jr. I think with some authority on this, I don't necessarily agree with his stance on this whole topic, but specifically the Democrats love affair with Big Pharma. He says the moment was Obamacare. You're like, oh, okay. That, that kind of makes sense. How, how though? How? He said his uncle Ted Kennedy was chair of the Senate Health Committee during the Obamacare debate. So he was in the thick of the whole thing. RFK Jr. was. Apparently, his argument is that Obama could not get Obamacare passed without the pharmaceutical industry signing on to it. Big pharma lobby, too big. They couldn't, they couldn't get, it, get it going without their sign-off. So the agreement with the devil that Obamacare made says, hey, you, you sign on to Obamacare, and this will benefit you because we're going to buy all your drugs. But the real benefit is we're not going to bargain over price with you. So we're going to pay full price. Obamacare will pay full price for all your medicine. And Big Pharma said, that sounds great. And RFK Jr. says after that, the Democrats were allowed politically and socially to accept money from big pharmaceutical companies. So before Obamacare, big pharma were the bad guys. Now we're all buddies. So money came pouring in from the pharmaceutical companies. And that story makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now, the second thing of note is that it wasn't until 1997 when the FDA allowed pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to consumers. That was 1997, which has resulted in an unbelievable reality right now. I I cannot believe this is true, but I don't watch TV, so I don't know. I have no, I don't don't watch TV. I certainly don't watch the evening news. When's the last time you watched the evening news? Like with with like Lester Holt or whatever. In 2020, TV ad spending by pharmaceutical companies was 75% of all advertising spending. There's no way that that's true. Is that true? I, I looked it up a couple different places. Now, part of that 75% is because there was a bump in COVID but not that big of a bump. In 2019, pharmaceutical companies spent seven, $3.79 billion in advertising on TV. 3.79. And in 2020, it was 4.58. So it's, I mean, that's a, that's a big number, but like that's not that huge of a jump. And then maybe in 2020, there were other companies that didn't spend as much because of COVID. 
So far, the pharmaceutical companies spent more, and other companies maybe spent less. So maybe that number was like normally like fifty percent of total ad spending, but then jumped up to seventy five during that one year, or whatever. But still, you're telling me like you add up. I, I, I don't know. I watch TV. I don't know. Like car commercials. Like, wouldn't you think car commercials would be one of the big ones? Car commercials and like Procter and Gamble products, like like, like laundry detergent. And so, you, like, you think that would be most? It's not even close. Big pharmaceuticals, seventy five percent of all TV ad spending. But you hear that fact, and this montage that I saw years ago starts to make a lot of sense. By Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Guys, okay, so call me crazy. I don't think those news shows are going to be very critical of Pfizer. I think, I think they're a little compromised there when it comes to asking any real questions. So RFK tells a story. He was friends with Roger Ailes. I guess when, I, I do not know the background of this, but when RFK Jr. was 19, he spent three months in an African safari with Roger Ailes. <laughs> Lived in a tent together for three months. What? They're just in different circles. Um, but Roger Ailes from Fox News had a relative who he thought was vaccine injured. So Roger Ailes would have RFK Jr. on Fox News shows for environmental issues like like RFK is like an environmental environmentalist freak right so and he was so he was the lefty on environmentalism on Fox News but then RFK Jr. put out this documentary on vaccines and Roger Ailes said sorry man you can't you can't come on Fox with that stuff we can't have it why not and he told me at that time he said if any of my hosts independently let you on to talk about this I would fire them I would have to fire them. And he said, if I didn't fire them, I would get a call from Rupert within 10 minutes, meaning Rupert Murdoch. And he said to me at that time, he said 75% of my evening news division advertising revenues are coming from pharmaceutical companies. And he, he told me, he told me that of the 22 ads on the typical evening news show that typically 17 or 18 of those were pharmaceutical ads. Jeez. How can that be? He told the story of Jake Tapper, who back then was at ABC News. And RFK Jr. wrote an article about vaccines in the Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, Jake Tapper spent three weeks doing a story on RFK Jr. for ABC News. And they got it all ready and it was ready to go. And, and the night before it was going to air, it was killed by corporate. And Jake Tapper told RFK Jr. that in his entire career, he's never had a piece killed by corporate because it was critical of the pharmaceutical industry. 
That's amazing. I, I like. It's 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 like the greatest scam ever. I, I like. I, I, what other industry can create a product that doesn't just need to be bought once by every man, woman, and child, but is mandated two, three, four, five times forever, <laughs> and and it's mandated by the government that you get it for your employment. I mean, it was for a while. It's the greatest scam in history. You could never make a product like that in any other way ever. There's no other, there's nothing even close to that. And the Democrats are swimming in money and the pharmaceutical companies are swimming in money and people are hurt. It's amazing. I, 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 I cannot recommend enough the book Dreamland by Sam Quinones. Sam Quinones is called Dreamland, an amazing book. It's about opioid use in America. It is phenomenal. I've read it a couple times. It's so good. And it bounces between three different stories. It tells the story of heroin dealers from Mexico and America. I, I say heroin dealers from Mexico in America. Uh, it tells the story of uh, opioid pain dispensaries and users of, of opioids. But I think the most relevant and fascinating to me is the drug companies. And who, how they invented opioids and how they marketed them and how they lied to everyone about how addictive they really were and how they would woo the doctors to just write these prescriptions like candy. And it was all based on this lie and they knew that it was a lie, that it wasn't addictive, but indeed it was. And Purdue Pharma, uh, which made OxyContin, they had to pay $5.5 billion in fines. $5.5 billion. And you're like, wow, that had to be crushing. No, they made over $35 billion from OxyContin. It's like, whatever, that's just right. you write that off. That's just the cost of doing business, no big deal. And the Democrats love these guys. So, so back to the Dems, cluster bombs are the, the, the new big thing. And Democrats love to love the new big thing. Even if that new big thing completely contradicts every moral and political principle, principle they, they claimed to have ever stood for. <laughs> to Breitbart News Daily Podcast. So Breitbart's been covering a lot the movie Sound of Freedom about uh, child sex trafficking in South Africa, South America. And it's unbelievable. They made $40 million. This movie goes, it's an independent Christian movie for $14 million. It's made 40 so far. It's beating out Indiana Jones per theater. It's crazy. So this is a topic that uh, I'm passionate about. I'm fascinated by. It seems on uh, it seems unfathomable that it's a thing, and I think everyone is shocked by how uh, prevalent it is. So an old friend of mine, Jocko Buyans, um, we talked with him, and I mean he's like he's, he's in this world. He rescues children. He's been doing it for decades. So we get his take on the movie, what the movie misses out on, and really just how courageous it is for people to be willing to confront this issue when it's so easy to put your head in the sand, turn away, pretend it's not a thing, and how to combat people like the Rolling Stones article that say you're just making this all up. Like, what are we talking about? Making it all up. Here's Jocko. Jocko, how are you, brother? Good morning, Mike. God bless you, man. Thank you for your to voice. You. Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, for talking about it. Thanks for caring. Um, let's talk about you for a second. We got time. Usually we talk on the TV and we don't have as much time to, to chit-chat. Um, 
Why? First of all, have you seen the movie? Yeah, and I consulted on the script and the first draft of the script. Tim Ballard is a very good friend. Eduardo Verastecki is a friend. I mean, we, you know, when you really get into the fight of defending children, it's not a big, not a big community. It's a small tribe. Yeah, that's right. Uh, tell me your story. Why have you dedicated your life to stopping child sex trafficking? Yeah, it started for me in 1994. I was 18 years old, so I've been 28 years now fighting trafficking. So anybody who really is in the fight, I've probably crossed paths with them at some point. Uh, for us, it started single-parent home, single mom, and my sister at that time was 12 years old, and she was trafficked. It took us six years to get her back, and you learn a lot when a 12-year-old, 12 to 18, is critical years of your life. Uh, you know, and We really learned what sex trafficking was after the fact through my sister's eyes, and in that process of sitting in the living room, having my sister account for every scenario where men sold her, Think about that. And I'm reliving this. Uh, God spoke to me and said, not another one. Not another one. And so 28 years now, every day, 24-7, uh, 53 countries. But we focused on the 50 states in the United States, Mike, since 2013, because God clearly spoke to me and said, here, it's here domestically. This is where we need to fight. Um, how old were you when this happened to your sister? 18. I was a senior in high school. How did she get trafficked in the first place? Ilanka won a national singing singing competition. She's blessed with a really like a Celine Dion voice. And this is before American Idol. It was a national contest. She won it. She won a record deal with a Sony Music affiliate. The guy assigned to her as her A&R rep, the head of the, the, the artist development division, a guy named Mike Durant. Became a friend of the family the first year. They delivered on every promise. They recorded the album. We were in every rehearsal as a family. We're tight unit. And then before her big release, Mike uh, performed the first rape. And then for a year, abused her locally. And then and in the next five years, Ilonka was sold into, into the sex trafficking ring and marketplace. And it was an undercover cop. Six years later, by the hand of God, two o'clock in the morning, Ilonka was rescued. <clears throat> but then the work starts, Mike, and this is the conversation, really. Uh, you know, people don't understand. They, and even on the right, they want to talk about trafficking is terrible, it's terrible, but they've never come face to face with a human being that's a shell. There's, no, there's nothing. There's a soul, a little pilot light alive on the inside, but you've got to rebuild the life of a child. And, and honestly, Here's the statistic. For the amount of time the child was trafficked, the rehabilitation takes 3x. Mm. So it was 18 years of keeping her alive after rescue, numerous suicide attempts, doing therapy, rebuilding a human being, self-identity, intimacy. Mm. You don't just come back and go back to life. So, Jack, I'm so glad you brought up the soul our modern world doesn't talk about the soul. It's not a thing. I was talking to one of the most world-renowned psychologists, and I asked him about how something affects the soul. And he said, oh, we don't, we don't deal with the soul. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't think the soul exists, even though psychology means the study of the soul. So that's our modern world is there is no soul. So I'm, I'm so glad that you even brought it up. What is it? And I asked this question because I want to learn more about the soul, and I think this can shed some light on it. What is it about 
being sex trafficked that destroys the soul to the point where it takes so long to tap back into it, as you say. What what is it? What what is the soul that gets so destroyed, and why? Mike, you understand? You're asking a question no one's asking. You're having the real conversation, brother. And I, my respect to you just went through the roof. Because this is the conversation to be had. Because it's a battle over the soul. It's a battle between Satan and God. This is a Genesis moment. God says, God says there will be enmity, war, between Eve and her offspring, you and me, and Satan. It's a war for the soul. That's the battle. That's why they'll... they'll drink children's blood. They'll dance in front of kids. There's no end to this, by the way. Satan doesn't self-correct. They will go and consume because it's about a, it's a soul battle. The flesh, the body. This is why you see the left. They'll discard a kid. They'll discard a child in the womb. It's not about the body or the emotions, although they want to tell you it's all about emotions. It's not. It's a soul battle. It's an eternal battle. Here's what happens. You can break a human being like you break a horse. In 28 years, Mike, I've gone through, I've trained with every three-letter agency on the planet, okay? And I have done human behavioral science. I should have five masters in psychology at this point. It all comes down to the soul. It is the hope, the thing you're born with. You're born out of the womb with a desire in your heart, in your soul, to reconnect with God, with purpose with the way he sees you, Mike Slater, as a son of God. When you reconnect with that, purpose comes into your life. You walk a different way. Your, your countenance changes. The word of God starts flowing through you. The promises, the, the covenants to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, becomes factual in your life. Blessings flow because there's unity between you and God, or there's death and destruction. There's nothing in between. In the American church, has come to a place where it lives in the in-between. It thinks there's a gray area where you can say, oh, trafficking is terrible, and they're hurting these children, and it's rape. But I don't want to go deep enough to say, well, let's go rescue a soul. Let's go get eternal value. And if you have that perspective, Mike, this whole QAnon nonsense that's going on about sound of freedom, okay? Let me tell you what it boils down to. One, one is too many. The second you lose focus and you go beyond one child, oh, it's not all these children. They talk about all these children. One is too many. The king I serve says, I leave 99 for one. One is too many. If you focus on one, then we have a problem. We have a problem at the border. We have a problem in our nation with the number one nation buying sex. Do you know that Gen Z today, their souls have so been crushed, meaning their identity and who they are. Look at all the attacks on them. What is it? It's an identity attack. Why? Because it removes you from having the purpose in life. Why do you exist? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. You're here for your soul to be reconnected with God, for him to flow through you, to say, Mike Slater, son, this is why I created you. When that epiphany hits you and you understand your purpose and now you look at, you evaluate your talents, you do an audit on your life and your relationships, man, you're dangerous. You are going to set souls free by liberating them, by introducing them to the one who created them. This is the battle. Now, sex is the most dangerous weapon on earth. 
there's nothing more powerful than sex because you can break a human being like you break a horse. If you couple sex with coercion, and people say, well, how powerful is coercion really? They shut the world down. The world, your convenience store, your grocery store, your church shut down through coercion because it was a lie. So coercion, when you take coercion and you couple it into the life of a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, through sexualizing them, you are literally breaking their soul. You are eternally removing that child from their purpose. Mm. And that is hell on earth. That's a dark pit. That's the real conversation. Unfathomable. We're talking with Jocko Bouyans. It was dedicated his life to sex trafficking because we're talking about uh, child sex trafficking in particular because we're talking about the movie Sound of Freedom, not number one movie in America. Um, mm-hmm. w- can you help us understand the prevalence? Because I'm not in this circle where this is like a thing that any of my friends would ever conceive of doing. And I think that's true for almost everyone. So we're like, like what do you mean? Like, it, it's unfathomable, child sex trafficking yeah. in America. It's unfathomable. So how can you give, can you put something on it to help us understand how big of a problem it is? Yeah, I think, I think to make it palpable, right, we got to bring it into reality for people and, and make it personal. I want to quickly run through a progression. Uh, the average age of boys entering pornography in, in America right now, meaning seeing porn, is age eight. Okay? But this is not Pamela Anderson without her top on sitting on a Harley Davidson in the centerfold of a Playboy, like it was for your dad, maybe, or our generation. It's gang rape. It's group sex. So you immediately, in five milliseconds, destroy the concept of intimacy, the concept of love, the purpose of women, the purpose of a man. Yep. Immediately. That is, a, that is like removing the child from their sole purpose by a thousand miles immediately. That child now has, in that moment, it's called imprinting. In that moment, that child either decides this is love or women are evil or men are evil. This is where feminists lose their way. In that moment, at their first abuse, and over 99% of feminists have suffered abuse, they make a decision, men are evil. And they will war against it, but it eternally removes them from their sole purpose. So when that guy now goes through life, he's going to either become a victim or an abuser. Hurt people, hurt people. So if you say, how many guys on earth are there that will hurt other people through sex? A lot. A lot. Because a lot of them were hurt. That train, the guy's sexual train, now speeds up. He's supposed to go through puberty at 12 through 14. The average age of sex trafficking is 12 through 14 in America. So we have a lot more men than you think that's willing to go take power back. And even if they don't act upon it, they think it. Look at the Andrew Tate movement. Tate is right about 5% of the time. 95% of the time, he's off. On the sole conversation, he's completely off because it's about taking back power. You earn it. You don't take it back because when you take it back, you swing the pendulum. So there's a lot of men in our culture who buy sex, a lot more than you think. The average male, we did a big study. It took four years to do the study. The average male that purchases sex in America and sex with children is a father of two. It's a married man. Father of two. It is, it is mind-blowing, but it's a fact. 79,000 women and children today, in any given moment, in the, in the industry of sex trafficking in Texas alone. Oh, come on. Five. It's a fact. It's a fact. That's a, hey, my number is 105,000. 
The 79,000 is the attorney general's office number in Texas based on reports to police. It's, it sounds My it sounds 105. It's unfathomable. So <clears throat> when I lived in San Diego, our local DA, who is not a woke DA, made after she was elected, so this wasn't a campaign issue, after she was elected, and she's great, uh, she made uh, child sex trafficking her number one priority. And I think the people of San Diego were like, what? Like, how about, I mean, there's got to be something else going. Like, who, what are you talking about? But she saw it on the ground, obviously, as you just mentioned, the Texas DA. Yes. Right? They see it. They see yeah. it happening. So they know that this is a problem when the rest of us have no clue. And that's why I'm grateful for this movie and I'm grateful for you for getting this story out that, that this is a real thing that happens way more than we would ever fathom it ever happening. And to dismiss it, let me read, because you mentioned this uh, Rolling Stone. You, you alluded to this Rolling Stone article about yes. Sound of Freedom. Uh, the headline is Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brain worms. The QAnon-tinged thriller about child trafficking is designed to appeal to the conscience of a conspiracy adled boomer. That's you. you. That's you, Jocko. You're a, you're a conspiracy theory guy. Right. Yeah, you live. Well, let, me, let me tell you what's the most dangerous thing. For, for, 20, for now, 22 years living in America, being a citizen here for 15, our greatest need in the fight is for fathers to step into this fight. Well, what is Sound of Freedom doing? Sound of Freedom is getting fathers, men, into the conversation, and the left is shuddering. I'm very thankful for Sound of Freedom. Yes, it focuses on the international front, and yes, it's more prevalent domestically, but you know what? It's raising awareness. Why the left? That article in Rolling Stone is very, very particularly written because it's now shaming the man like they shamed the white male. Like they shamed men in the abortion conversation. You can't talk about this, but you were 50%. I mean, right. you gave sperm, right? Right? I mean, you're 50% here. But you can't say anything about it. They are scared to death because it's mama bears that's been fighting this fight with us for the last two decades. You're so right. In sex trafficking. Now the dad's going to step in. So here's what's going to happen. The guy who's potentially the buyer, potentially the abuser, the demand is going to be enlightened by God to, hey, maybe I've been part of the problem. Maybe watching porn contributes to this, because it does. It builds demand for sexual content. I'm going to stop being part of the problem. I'm going to become part of the solution. That's a problem to the left. Don't wake the men up. So, so what, what does that article target? It targets the male boomer, which is who? The one with the most money in the country, the most influence, the most power, and the best upbringing. The best upbringing. Uh The most moral upbringing class alive today in our culture is the boomer. They can restore virtue and value. They can go to the Gen Zers and say, listen, son, come over here. We're going to make a man out of you. Doesn't mean you beat people up. We're going to reset value and purpose in your life, and we're going to heal your soul. That's dangerous to the left. Would the left want children to be trafficked? I went to Wolf Blitzer in 2007 when I was reporting on the Epstein stuff. I was a a witness on Epstein. I stood at the CNN headquarters in Atlanta inside the building. They escorted me out of the building by force because I said, Wolf, here's all the evidence. You run the story. You be the hero. Make CNN the hero. Come on. 
you come from the left. This is 2007. They threw me out the building. No, they don't care. They want this to be perpetuated. And, yes, there is an elite class that drink adrenochrome, no conspiracy, that have sex parties and orgies in Hollywood. But that's, not, that, that's 1% of the fight. The fight is in the neighborhoods. It's American men that have been so emasculated that they resort to self-stimulation and sex as gratification to get some sort of value, and they've lost their way, Mike. They've lost their way. They purchased sex with children. Do you know how many pastors we've arrested? Police chiefs? We just took down a soccer coach in Frisco, Texas, that raped 12 children under the age of, of 13. Every single pedophile I've ever encountered. And we did three rescues this week, Mike. Got a 13-year-old boy this morning that we're going to go help. Boy, okay, that we rescued from trafficking. He was trafficked by his mother. Do you, do, do you know every pedophile I've ever come face-to-face with has told me, I don't know how I got here. Wow. I lost my way. Talking uh, um, with Jocko Bouyens, The Sound of Freedom, the movie, is, is what is starting this conversation. Well, Jocko and I have talked many times, but um, at this moment. Um, I, I love your point about how it's going after men. Because, of course, I mean, the headline is uh, Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brainworms. I'm right. sure there's women who are watching the movie, too. Uh, but they chose to attack the dads who may be inspired uh, by, the, by the truth of this movie. It's such a good point, the attack on dads. Um, let me quote this for you. Uh, the, the people in the movie primed the public to accept Sound of Freedom as a documentary rather than delusion by fomenting moral panic for years over this grossly exaggerated, quote, epidemic of child sex trafficking. So they put epidemic in a quote, a grossly exaggerated. So Jocko, is, is this, is child sex trafficking a grossly exaggerated epidemic? No, it's underreported, still after Sound of Freedom, because here's the problem, and I told Tim this, here's the problem I have with Sound of Freedom. And I knew this was going to happen when I read the script, when, when, when I worked with the guys, you know, in development. I said, guys, there's Americans that's going to dismiss this because they're going to say it's happening in third world countries. It's that's not right. happening here. That's right. That's right. Right. And, and I, with all the accolades I have for the film, that, that's why we silently, with no fanfare, released a documentary which will stand the test of time. Please go check it out. Sex Nation. SexNationFilm.com. We released it quietly last month because I knew this was going to happen. I knew Sound of Freedom was going to draw arrows and going to take frontline attack. The documentary, Sex Nation, has sheriffs, police chiefs, nurses, five survivors in it telling their stories. Go watch that documentary. It's underreported. I told you half a million sex traffic victims in America. Mike, let me give you a stat. I office with Glenn Beck, okay? David Barton, Tim Barton, the American Journey Experience, the historians in our country, okay, who are preserving our history. Do you know that 10 million slaves left Africa? I'm from Africa. 10 million slaves left Africa and came this, this side of the ocean. Most Americans believe all those slaves, they were taught all those slaves came to North America. That's a lie. Of the 10 million slaves, 366,000 came to North America. 
The most slaves went to Brazil and to the Caribbean islands. Okay? 366,000 slaves. It's too many. One is too many. One slave is too many. But 366,000 slaves came to America over a 300-year period. Okay? We have half a million sex slaves in our country today. We're surpassing slavery year by year more than what accounted for over a 300-year period, Mike. You think it's underreported? It's underreported, brother. This guy called it grossly— We're not even scratching the surface. Grossly exaggerated epidemic. It's wild that the person who wrote this, who I imagine is obviously on the left, um, would— would like go there like like brush it off like you know what i mean as opposed to joining in like joining on the mission pal uh but no uh jocko we could talk forever i got one last question because Mike, they can't remember earlier we talked about the soul right they Mm. have forfeited they have forfeited those people have forfeited their desire to reconnect with god they have so that's what it means when you hear Hollywood say, "I sold." They sold their soul. That's right. That's when right. When you hear, you know, that's what they mean. Yeah. Oh, they wow. have given up, and now they are they are completely controlled by evil. Uh, last question for you, Jocko. Uh, I, it's it's fascinating that forty million dollars worth of people would go to see this movie when it was released the same time as the Indiana Jones movie. So the fact that people would choose to go watch a movie about a very difficult topic to be confronted with instead of a feel-good blockbuster flick of uh, Indiana Jones. And people made that choice, and a lot of people made that choice. More people made the choice. What do you think that says about our present moment in American culture? It is probably the greatest poll in modern-day history, because I don't trust any political poll. You want a real poll? That is the poll. It is a subset, a data set that we need to pay attention to because it's the outcry of the American family that says, by God, can we restore the equilibrium of this nation? And I would, I would recommend that any guy running for president better tap into that. And that's a soul conversation. It's a purpose conversation. They're revolting, saying, you have pushed us too far. You've pushed us too far. It brings hope, Mike. It should bring incredible hope to a patriot in this country today to say, by God, they're still, the pilot light is still on. We haven't lost the soul of the nation, the reason our founding fathers came here, to have the freedom to worship God and connect with him and procreate and build family and opportunity. That, what Sound of Freedom, it's probably the most important thing Sound of Freedom is doing, to be honest with you honestly, is to show America, hey, you still have a shot. You still have people here who will fight, who will, who will create an Alamo moment. Let a, let a foreigner, an immigrant, tell you this. This is a wake-up America moment. There's more of you that want this nation to restore than they tell you or make you to believe. And understand that coming after men because for evil to exist in a society, good men do nothing. Good women will always be fighting. When good men do nothing, you lose a culture. Let the good men rise. Jocko Buyens, J-A-C-O-B-O-O-Y-E-N-S. And uh, you can just Google that name. 
go to his website, but the 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 um, website is sexnationfilm.com. So if you want to go further than just Sound of uh, Freedom, go to sexnationfilm.com and watch that and realize how big of a problem this is here in the greatest country on earth. Jocko, always good to talk to you, brother. God bless you. You're a champion. Thank you, Mike. Praying for you, man. Keep up the wonderful work. Truly saving lives. Oh, yeah, we're going to go rescue a kid today. But uh, want to take some time for you this morning. I'm American made. I got American parts. Hey, on tomorrow's show, we're going to give you the latest on the FBI director, Chris Ray, testifying in front of Congress. Last time he testified in front of Congress, he did this thing like, Hey, listen, I got to go. I don't have time to answer all these questions. I got to run. And he jumped on a jet and went to his private vacation. That's how much respect he has for Congress. And we'll tell you how he did today on tomorrow's show. Breitbart News Daily, Sirius XM 125, starting 6 a.m. Eastern. Oh,